Hello and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We pray that as you listen to this message, it helps you grow closer to God and inspires you to live like Jesus. Thanks for listening. Here's the message. In the Song of Solomon, it's an Old Testament book, it's a lyric poem, and it's didactic and in places I would even say erotic, okay? Been excited to say those two words all week. And it's definitely about a marriage between a man and a woman. And, you know, even studying this week, though, uh, there's a lot of mystery around the whole idea of this book. What exactly is its intention? What is its purpose? What is it communicating? And what's really its meaning? And, and as I study different thoughts and different theologians' thoughts and commentaries, I just there's a little bit of disagreement around that. People trying to still figure out what, what exactly is the purpose of this book because human love seems to be the primary issue. There's very little mention of God in the book, but yet the way that the book is structured it doesn't seem like it would necessarily, or it doesn't really suggest that it's allegorical. And there's an argument that there's just this strong prophetic picture of Christ's relationship with the church. We know that the church is often mentioned as the bride, so maybe this is Jesus's relationship with the people. So I, you know, as a studying and reviewing, have kind of come to the conclusion that this book is a little bit of both where it is practical and didactic, which means it was intended to teach about marriage and explore some of those things. I studied that, uh, you know, Hebrew boys specifically weren't even allowed to read this text until they were 30 years old because of the strong language. Don't awaken love before it desires. I think that was part of the intention with this book. So it's graphic in some of its language, but I do think that it's also, um, it, it is prophetic in the sense of the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church, and the intimacy he desires within that relationship. So I, I think it's a picture of both of those things. Now, considering that, I uh, just wanted to lay the foundation. We're building our entire series off one short passage from the whole book, okay? And it's this, Song of Solomon, uh, chapter two, verse 15. It says, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love. Catch all the foxes before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. So we can read this verse and we quickly discover the writer here is using imagery and symbolism to communicate their point. Um, but I did take a little bit of time to just evaluate how does a fox practically wreak havoc within a vineyard? Why, why would they even write that? And I found two things, that the fruit of the vine is often out of reach from the foxes, so they'll chew on the vine to get the fruit to fall off. And then as they create their dens to live in, they disrupt the root system of the vineyard because they dig holes where the roots would normally be. So therefore, these foxes, these little foxes are are definitely something you don't want in the garden. But you'll notice that that phrase, little foxes, they, they would often fence in their vineyards to keep predators out. But the little foxes were small enough to sneak their way in. 
If this book really is didactic, if it really is also a foreshadowing of the relationship we have with Christ and, and, and his relationship with the church, then I think we're safe to look at this verse and apply this verse to our relationship with Jesus, but also our relationship with people in the same way. So, so as we read the vineyards of love, the vineyards of love represent our relationship with Jesus, with God, and it also represents our relationships, our earthly relationships with each other. As we, as we read the little foxes, they uh, uh, cause separation in those relationships. The little foxes represent the little sins, the little things that find their way into our relationships that have intentions to wreak havoc in our vineyards of love. Are y'all with me? Okay, so uh, um, the, the little foxes are the things we allow to linger that hinder our intimacy with God or our intimacy in our earthly relationships. And I'm just saying, like, as we go through this series, it's time to catch these little foxes, right? And God's given us his spirit. He's given us the power. Maybe there's been things that have lingered. There's hatred we've held on to. There's lust battles we've been in for far too long. There's addictions we've been wrestling with. And I just believe maybe we're in this place where we're like, man, this fox is always gonna live here. This thing has always been here. I'm always gonna struggle with this. And I'm just saying, uh-uh. The God that we serve, this is the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me and lives in you as Jesus followers. And I'm just believing that there's gonna be some significant spiritual surgery that happens in our hearts and our heads as we venture through the next couple of weeks addressing some of these little foxes. You got faith for that? No more excuses. No more compromise. No more overlooking. No more apathy. No more, no more hiding. Over the next few weeks, we need to be willing to allow the Spirit of God to do some work in us. Amen? So, um, and, and man, my prayer for this whole series is that we'll find freedom, that we'll find courage to confess some things, and that many of us will see the beginnings of a mighty restoration in our vineyards of love. You got faith for that? All right, let's pray, and then we'll jump into this thing. Jesus, we love you so much. We're just so grateful uh, for who you are. We're grateful to gather in your house with your people. Um, Lord, I just pray right now through the power of your spirit, you would till the soil of our heart. Help it to be fertile ground to receive the seed of your word. We want to be transformed by your word. We pray, that, we pray it would take root in our heart and grow to produce fruit in our lives. We don't want to just hear your word. We, uh, we want to be transformed by it. So God, I, I pray that you would allow that to happen, shape and mold us, transform us into a company of kingdom people. And I pray we'd continue to foster kids in Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we look at Jesus's interactions with the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the teachers of the religious law, there's almost always tension in those conversations. And it's no different in Matthew 22, where Jesus is uh, going back and forth. He's conversing with some Pharisees and religious leaders and teachers. And you can tell there's some tension in this moment. And so badly, they, they hate the momentum that Jesus has, the clout that he's been getting with some of the people. And uh, they, they are working very hard to trap Jesus, right? And that's what they want to do. The, the tension was, was common because uh, they, they have two totally different intentions. You have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the leaders of the religious law, and they uh, want to act as if they actually carry out the law. The law consists of 613 commandments. 
And so their job is to live these out perfectly, to honor these things well. And then what they want to do is they want to yoke other believers to these law and, and cast those expectations on believers. But we know as Jesus followers, the law was never intended to actually be followed. It was intended to point us to Jesus. It was a mirror to look in to say, yeah, you ugly. You need help. You need a savior. You can't fulfill this. You can't follow this fully. So the intention of the law was always pointing us towards Jesus, but they very literally have taken that on and carry themselves as if they can fulfill that perfectly, where Jesus, he uh, wanted to remove the yoke off believers that yokes us to the law that continuously reminds us we're not good enough. He came, was good enough. He wants to yoke believers to himself as he carries the weight. That's what he came to do. So as, the, as there's tension, right, because the word says his yoke is easy, his burden is light, right? So, so there's this tension as, as they debate with one another. And so I love that we drop in, in, into this conversation Jesus is having with the religious leaders. And uh, it's, I feel like in this conversation, it's a familiar passage, it's a familiar verse, but uh, what Jesus says is, is incredibly significant to our lives and to our purpose and our callings as believers. It says this, let's just observe what he says, Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, uh, with his reply, they met together to question him again. So Jesus is kind of, they're, they're trying to trap Jesus. Jesus has given them these great answers. They can't trap him, he's slippery, right? Uh, so verse 35, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, Jesus, if you know so much, if you're so holy, if you really are this God man that everybody's been talking about, out of all the laws, all 613, which is the greatest one? What's the greatest one? Jesus doesn't even seem to really hesitate here when he answers. In fact, his response seems swift and quick and confident. In verse 37, it says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment in a second, which is equally as important because you can't love God fully without loving people. Amen? Th those two things, are, you can't separate them. Uh, a second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says this profound statement, the entire law and all of its demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. If you love God and you love people, then you're in good shape. Amen? And, and I know this verse is wildly familiar and if we've spent any time in church, we've heard it, but I just wonder, have we ever just really taken time to reflect on the revelation that Jesus shares with us in this moment, that what he uh, prioritizes, what he loves, what he emphasizes is our intimacy, our relationship with God and our relationship, our intimacy, our friendship with others. That's what God, that's what God cares about. And all his law and all his instruction revolves around those two things being accomplished in our life. God cares about the relationships in our life and what they look like. So wouldn't it make sense then if he cares deeply about our relationships and that's what he puts an emphasis on, wouldn't it make sense that uh, the two things the enemy wants to disrupt the most because we know the flesh is in direct uh, opposition to the spirit, right? So the enemy is working against us. Wouldn't the enemy wanna call division in those two relationships. All his attacks would primarily be to disrupt your relationship with God and your relationship with others, right? That would make sense. So, if the, so as we uh, continue to look, uh, that place 
takes priority on our enemy's list of, of where and what to disrupt. And I think part of the whole key to this series, as we look at that verse, we understand the, the enemy prowls around, but I think it's in the verbiage of the verse where uh, the descriptive word that he uses for the foxes being little. Little, the little foxes. You know, the word tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So what Paul is insinuating and saying that is that Satan makes sin look sexy. Satan makes sin look good for consumption. Satan makes sin look sweet and enticing. But what we'll find out, especially as we go through the text, even starting in the garden, that Satan starts off subtle. But he has intentions to make you a slave. Let's look at Genesis 3. It says this. Um, we know that God's given Adam and Eve clear instruction, placed them in this vast garden with trees everywhere, gives them the simple instruction, one simple instruction. Hey, just, you can have everything. Live in this place freely. Look at all that you can take part in. This one tree, don't touch that one. Everything else, free game, okay? So here we pick up in Genesis 3, the serpent represents Satan, comes into the garden and uh, an interaction takes place. Verse four, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman if she was to partake of the tree. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. And then check this out. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree. So she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. Satan will make sin look sweet, right? And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Satan is subtle. He, he's subtle, but he, but he loves to make sin look sweet. And, 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 if, and if we can, will allow the, the subtleness to creep in, if we don't deal with the sin that exists, then we, we are quickly on our way to becoming a slave. Amen? First Corinthians 5. I think Paul understood this whole concept. He knew this is how the enemy would work. And so he says, don't you realize that sin is like a little bit of yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? If a, if, a, if a whole lump of dough just has a little bit of yeast, it'll cause the whole loaf to rise. James, he testifies to the same thing. He says in James chapter one, verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us, drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed, everyone say allowed, that's the key. When sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death spiritual death, relational death. It, it'll, it'll decay the things that God cares about most in our lives when we're unwilling to deal with the sin that so obviously exists in our lives, the little foxes. Before we ever uh, step into sinful actions, we, we see there's submission to sinful thoughts and desires. And this is the whole, this is the beauty in the law of the spirit, being under the law of the spirit, verse 
uh, the law of the Old Testament because God wants to deal with our intention. He wants to deal with our spirit. He, he wants to deal with our mind. He wants to make all that new. And the law is incapable of doing that. And I'll give you practical examples. Under the law, do not murder, right? Now I can hate and be mean and throw baloney on this dude's face and think it's hilarious and, and that's fine as long as I don't kill him, right? Hey, I followed the law. But under the law of the spirit, if you hold hatred in your heart towards anyone, you're the same as a murderer. That's the difference. Do not commit adultery. Okay, so I can look. My eyes can be bouncing all over the room and, and off of everything. And, and I, can I can have lust and, and leave it there. And that's, but as long as, I don't, as long as I don't cheat, though, as long as I don't touch nobody, I honored the law, but the law of the spirit, being under the spirit, God, the way that God's leading us, if, if you even look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. He wants to expose our desires and renew our desires because it's, it, as things even exist as desires in our head and in our heart, eventually he knows they'll give birth. So he's trying to deal with those things. There's a submission to the spirit that needs to take place within us. So, so we can avoid because God's leading us. He, he has this full abundant life for us. He cares about the quality and the condition of our relationship with him and relationships with others. And so we find that Jesus isn't interested in just changing our behavior, but he wants to transform and renew your mind, right? Through the power of the spirit of God. And that, that spirit's at work within us, helping us. When we place faith in Jesus, he gives us his spirit. He gives us his helper. And so some of us, we have power and we have the ability to be free from some of these little foxes, but we've allowed them to exist for too long, living as slaves when we've been made sons. I want to look at a verse when we allow the little foxes to burrow in our vineyards of love, when, when we aren't aggressive to get them out and you know, this first week is really kind of this broad brush, and we're going to get into some specifics in the coming weeks. I'm excited for this series. Um, so, so we'll work through some of the practical of, of what it looks like to get those little foxes out, and God meets us in there, and, 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 and he'll help us and give us power through his Holy Spirit. But I feel like this story in Judges 13 gives us this uh, pretty accurate picture. If we're unwilling to deal with the little foxes, if we're unwilling to continue to compromise, what may just happen? So in Judges 13, we uh, roll up on a rebellious Israel. Uh, you know, the Israelites are God's people. They've been set apart. They've been set aside as holy for God, and they've been rebellious. So God, in the form of judgment, allows the Philistines to kind of overtake them and oppress them. And he says that this is going to last for 40 years. So during that time, an angel, I, you know, some theologians think maybe it was Jesus. They come to this young, or not young, but they come to this Israelite couple, and they give them a vision full of hope for the future. So let's, let's look at this really quick. Uh, Judges 13, verse 3. I threw a lot out there all at once. Y'all good? on this story? Okay. Judges 3, or Judges 13, verse 3. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat forbidden food. You'll become pregnant. You'll give birth to a son. His hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God 
as a Nazarite from birth. Now, what's interesting is this Nazarite vow consists of three things that you commit yourself to partake in for the rest of your life or for the length of the Nazarite vow, however long that may be. But normally it's a voluntary thing, but God assigns before this baby's even born, he tells the parents he needs to follow the Nazarite vow. Nazarite vow is three things. Don't drink alcohol, don't cut your hair, don't touch dead stuff. Okay, those three things, you're good. You fulfill the Nazarite vow. He says, you know, so for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He'll be set set apart in a special way and he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. He's gonna be part part of their deliverance. Okay, so there's this amazing calling on this baby's life that's not even born yet, but we, we see there's, okay, there's hope where we've been oppressed by the Philistines. They're, they're bullying us, but he, here comes this savior that's gonna set us free from the Philistine. So uh, uh, the, the chapter ends, they have the baby. It, it says they named the baby Samson and it says that he begins to grow in the Lord. The Lord blessed him and uh, the Lord began to stir in Samson. Okay, so then we go from chapter 13, we move into chapter 14, and now Samson is finished up with puberty. He's done playing with action figures. He's ready for a woman. Amen? That's where he's at. First service laughed at that a lot harder. There we go. I appreciate it. Sympathy laughs. So Judges 14. One day when Samson, who's the baby who's grown now, one day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among the Israelites that you could marry? Now remember, Samson's a Israelite. He went to Timnah and he found a Philistine woman, and the Philistines are their enemy, right? So his parents are like, a Philistine girl? Come on, you know they're trashy. What, what are you doing? You, you know she's been running around with everybody else, Timna. I know how those Timna girls are. Samson, come on, what about her own tribe? Look at, what about all these beautiful, what about Sarah, that Israelite girl, right? Wasn't, wasn't she, come on, what about Rebecca? What about Rebecca? He's like, nah, I saw this girl in Timna and I like her. His parents asked like, why, why, why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? What, what's your deal? But how many know God uses all things together for good? There's been, there's been a prophecy over Samson's life that he's actually gonna be a part of their deliverance from the oppression of the Philistines. So God actually has intentions of using this marriage, using this relationship to, to start that uh, connection there, to get that process started. And so it says, but Samson told his father, get her for me, she looks good to me. And his father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this. So the Lord has maybe given them specific eyes for this Philistine woman because he has, there's God's purpose, God's plans about to take place through this, about through this relationship. So his father and his mother, they didn't realize the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at the time. Now, teenagers, that's not an excuse to missionary date. You hear me? Okay. This is very specific to the text. Glory wasn't in the first service to hear this. I wish she was in this service to hear it too, but that's okay. 
So as Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. And at that moment, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and he ripped up this lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat, but he didn't tell his father or his mother about it. When Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and he was very pleased with her. So we see that Samson comes to mom and dad. He's like, hey, I saw this girl in Timnah. She was looking good. I want y'all to meet her. So they take a trip. Mom and dad are up ahead. Lion comes out on Samson. Samson's got this crazy spiritual gift of physical strength and he rips this thing. No big deal. Like it's just normal. He keeps walking. He meets, he meets mom and dad there. He has, he's like, hey, baby girl, I've been watching you. I told my parents about you. I, I think, you know, I'm thinking, you know, you want to get married? You let me know because I'm ready. I'll be back later. Okay, so then they, they go home at some point. And then where we pick up, I think it's in verse, uh, I think it's in verse eight. This is where we pick up. They're heading back the same path. And this path is important because God has purposes on this path. God's called them to take this path to get into this relationship because God has a plan that needs to be unfolded. It's very important that Samson stays on this path. Okay. Everybody say on the path. Okay. So let's go to the text. Later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. He needs to be on this path. Is Samson supposed to touch dead things? Woo! So Samson turns off the path to interact, to engage, to flirt with something he's not even supposed to be around, but check this. And he found that a swarm of bees had made honey in the carcass. Don't tell me Satan won't make sin look sweet. Ooh, somebody shout amen, because that's good. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and he ate it along the way. But the problem is, Samson, you got three rules, bro. You ain't supposed to touch dead things. But here he is, you know, like Winnie the Pooh. And it says, and then he also gave some to his mom and his dad. Because how many know the little foxes don't just affect us, they affect our relationships. And here's how we know that Samson knows he's in the wrong. It's, it's in the end of uh, verse nine. It says, but he didn't tell them he had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. He knows he's in the wrong. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Satan loves to make sin look sweet. And what often starts as subtle will very swiftly and quickly become slavery if we're unwilling to address the sin and if we're willing to allow it to grow, like James says. And so as I'm thinking through, you know, this week as I was prepping, I have a feeling that Samson's story is gonna resurface later in the series. And so I wanted to save some of the details of that story to preach through it later on. Um, and uh, But you can see that this first compromise leads him into other compromises. And there's this snowball effect of his sin grows and it gets him to a really bad place. And so, um, you know, the point of the story is, honey, in a dead lion, no big deal. Subtle. Y'all can't stop thinking about Winnie the Pooh, huh? <laughs> Golly. Subtle, enticing, sweet. The fruit in the garden, 
It's just an apple. I'm not asking you to smack your husband on the head or something crazy. It's just a fruit. Subtle, enticing, sweet. In the same way, tapping like on the selfie of your friend's wife is subtle, enticing, and sweet. And then the like turns into a casual DM that's lighthearted. And then the casual DM turns into a consistent DM. And before you know it, sinful desire turns into sinful actions. And we've hurt our spouse and we've hurt our kids and we don't even talk with the mistress anymore. All because we were unwilling to catch the little fox, which was as subtle as tapping like on a picture. Satan wants to make you a slave, man. Satan wants to keep you from the good things God created you to step into. Satan wants to do everything he can, and it'll be subtle. It'll be, it'll be gentle. It'll be an angel of light, whatever he can to turn you off that path. And, and here's where I get frustrated with the enemy. Is there's probably a lot of y'all in this room thinking through something, a little fox that's existed something maybe I've carried around and he's really convinced you that you're always going to struggle like this. The little foxes that have lived in your vineyard too long, that they've lived in your vineyard too long, you'll never get them out. He's really got you convinced that people don't struggle like you do. You're especially weak. You're especially broken. He's really got you convinced that you're too sinful for the love of God. And you're too broken for his grace to ever repair you. He couldn't love you. He, he couldn't use you. And all I'm saying is today, we lift up our chins, said, right? We, no, no, no. I, I remember God's word. I, I remember what God said. I, I know his spirit's at work on the inside of me. And these foxes have existed for too long. I'm about to bust out a chainsaw and slice these things. I think we need to look the devil in the eye and say, I think you forgot he died for me while I was a sinner. So I don't need to get myself clean before I approach him. In fact, he is the car wash for my soul, baby. I go to him to get clean. It's him who cleans me up. So I, I can't be too broken to not approach him. That if I'm broken, it validates my need to get in front of him at his feet and say, hey, I need some help, Lord. I think you forgot, I think you forgot he called me his masterpiece. He said he has good things for my life. He said he has a hope and a future for my life. I think you forgot I was created by him and for him. Why wouldn't he want me to have relationship with him? I think you forgot Galatians 6, 4. Worship team, you can come. And it says this, when the right time came, God sent his son Jesus, born of a woman, Subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Abba, it's an intimate word for daddy. Come on, you know what Jesus wanted to do? 
He wanted to take you from being slave and turn you into a son. And when you become a son, chains break. The chains break. I'm no longer a slave. I'm no longer bound. I have new privileges. I have new power. I'm in the kingdom of heaven. He says, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. I just feel so strongly. I've been anticipating this series for a while. And I just know as we tackle some of these different subjects in the coming weeks, some of us are going to experience greater intimacy with Jesus than we ever have. He's going to open our eyes in a new way. I'm just believing he's going to do that. I think some of us are going to uh, experience greater intimacy in our earthly relationships because we're going to get free. Maybe there's hatred that we've been holding in our hearts or there's unforgiveness we've been holding in our hearts and we've justified it. But you know what they did to us? They're not going to say sorry. They're not going to change. So, so, and it's these little foxes that we justify that are wreaking havoc in our vineyards of love. And, and I just, I just have this feeling that the spirit of God is going to come in and he's going to clear out. Like I've, I've battled and I keep clicking on that website and I, I keep going there and I keep looking at it and I don't want to and I know that I shouldn't and my wife catches me, she's going to kill me and I just have this feeling that you're going to receive a spiritual strength where you don't even need it anymore. You don't even desire it. You know, Romans says, cling to what is good, hate what is evil. There's going to be a hatred that rises up in you. That's anything that's not honoring to him. There's going to be a hatred that gets cultivated. I don't know. I just feel like some, so over the next couple of weeks, I'm just believing in faith that God's going to give us some new freedom, some new restoration, that our vineyards of love are about to blossom again, baby, and we're ready for it. And we're ready for it. It's what he cares about most. He cares about our relationship with him and our relationship with others. But here's the deal. If we don't have a relationship with the son, then we'll always be a slave. Come on, would the room stand to your feet for a moment here? You can take this, Jesse. Maybe you're in the room and, man, you want a relationship with Jesus. You know, if you were to be honest with yourself, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. It's, you know, this, this first, I just want to make uh, an invitation for your first practical step into stepping into this relationship with Jesus. Because, man, it's what you were created for. It's, it's who you were created by. It's the reason you're here. If you're not connected to that, you're going to be wandering your whole life. So just, if you, if you find yourself ready to put faith in Jesus, man, you understand that he, that he came, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, and he would allow a substitution, if we were to place faith in him, that he would take our sin and allow us to live in his perfection and receive the reward for his perfection. If you'd put faith in that, everything will change. So if you're in the room, don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you're ready for it, I just want you to put your hand in the air right now. Right now, say that's me, and I just want to say a simple prayer. Nothing crazy. Not going to make you do cart, cartwheels in the altar or anything. Just want to say a simple prayer like, hey, I'm, I'm ready for that. I, I want to have that. I want to pray that prayer. I don't see any hands, but it's really hard to see with these lights anyways. So let's say this prayer together here. Repeat after me. Jesus, we confess with our mouths. And we believe in our hearts. Jesus is Lord. 
His work was sufficient for my sin. Thank you for the cross. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me new. Thank you for forgiving me. I'm never turning back. Help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we give God praise in this place? Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Destiny Church, how to get connected, or give online, visit destinychurch.me. Have a great week.